This week on the Rotten Righteous podcast, we ask the question Have you ever practiced murder? Righteous, the show where we don't care. We just want to find our brother. With me today, as always, it's Luke Brigham Young Taylor. That's right. Let's get into our review of episode four of The Chosen, which was titled something. Man, I did this last week, too, where I just keep forgetting to look up the the uh, episode titles. A few moments later. Oh, season two, episode four is called The Perfect Opportunity. What do you know? A young boy walks up to a short tree and decides to climb it. He reaches for the smallest branch on the tree because apparently he's really dumb. He is rushed to the doctor's office and the doctor pokes the boy a couple of times. The parents of the boy look concerned as the doctor does a quick game of head, shoulders, knees, and toes in front of them. The boy appears to be paralyzed and watches other kids play ancient soccer. The boy's dad pays some creepy dude to rub some blood on his son's legs. The boy watches his mom die during childbirth. An emergency C-section saves the baby's life. By the way, this is all playing out. There's no words. It's, it's just like a terrible gruesome it's just seeing this little boy go through all these weird things the boy and his little brother grow up together they play they dance they see their father get married to a much younger woman and they even invent a cool secret handshake the younger brother pushes his older brother in a wheelbarrow the younger brother looks real mad when he sees a roman soldier beating up a defenseless jew the younger brother talks to three random jewish people and they hand him a scroll. The two brothers go to bed. The next morning, the older brother sees that his younger brother is gone. There's a note. The younger brother is somewhere far away, walking towards what looks like a Palestinian hobbit hole. The older brother is trying to get into a spring that he's sitting next to whenever someone turns on the jacuzzi jets. The older brother cannot make it into the water. The younger brother's doing choreographed dances with knives and wrestling dudes down in the hobbit hole. For years, the older brother just can't make it to the jacuzzi jet. For years, the younger brother just keeps dancing and wrestling. The younger brother's given a knife. Everyone in the hobbit hole claps. Now, yeah, that was the whole opening. Just no no words, just random random just scenes now i understand that the older brother is supposed to be the cripple at the pool of bethesda but who is the younger brother is he is he gonna kill somebody what's happening no please let me ask ah stupid theme song always ruining the the discussion I want to know how that kid fell out of a tree that was maybe six feet tall, 
from top to, or from bottom to top. And he was maybe three foot off of the air, but he fell in such a way that he was paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah, he could have broke his back, but I feel like he might have been in a little bit more pain. Well, I'm just saying, I, I if you could break your back that easily. Maybe he had osteoporosis. Right. Well, I just want to know why the kid would have grabbed the world's smallest twig and say, this one's going to support me. Uh, I've seen some kids do some stuff like that, and um, they aren't the brightest. But it was intriguing enough, this opening. I was intrigued. I actually really like this. Yeah, in fact, cool. I haven't been in love with season two, but this has been my favorite episode. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It was a very good episode. The younger brother is now in the market, trying and failing to look nonchalant. A dude with a ponytail is walking through the market. Then the younger brother, whose name is Simon, jumps and grabs the ponytail guy and puts a knife to his throat. And everyone stops what they're doing and smiles and claps. <laughs> Turns out that this market's filled with hobbit hole guys. And they're all zealots. And everyone's real impressed with Simon's murder ability. Inside the hobbit hole, the master of the ancient hobbit hole zealot hit squad is assuring another man who looks like Palestinian Igor Karkaroff from the Harry Potter books. <laughs> he does. I have a question. <clears throat> have, you ever pra- have you ever practiced murder? Like, have you ever run that scenario through in your mind and, and practiced it? I mean, I think like when we all played pretend. You, you never know, like we were, plotted like, anyone's murder secretly but didn't go through with it? I mean, no. Oh. All right. Just me like, then. Maybe, maybe, maybe I have, but not anyone specific. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed Roman. that that Palestinian Igor Karkaroff didn't play that well for you. I thought if anyone would enjoy the fact that this guy looked like Palestinian I, Igor Karkaroff from the Harry Potter books, it would have been you. I, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I was plotting murder, though, and so I, oh. I was slightly distracted. So anyways, the master of this, this group tells Igor that Simon's real good at murder, and if someone needs killing, he's the killer you need to kill the one you need killed. Outside of Jerusalem, the Chosen are pitching a tabernacle. You see, they're preparing for the Feast of Booths, one of the three yearly feasts that require all Jewish men to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Mary Mag speaks up and says, How come it's only the men who are supposed to go, huh? Girls not good enough to go? Hashtag V2. And Peter's like, Yeah, Mary, shut your trap. And then Peter's like, Calm down, ancient Margaret Sanger. No one's trying to stop you from going. <laughs> Freaking Dallas. You know, that's one thing that just annoys me. It's like everything has to be like, oh, oh, the women are oppressed. Oh, oh, why aren't we allowed to do this? Why aren't we allowed to do the that? And then scene. they have to, then the, the men have to come along and like be like, oh, it's okay. Jesus is better than the traditional norms. Well, not even that, but Peter is like, first of all, no one's stopping you from going, but it can be dangerous and difficult for little kids and the elderly. But, you know, I took Eden all the time. Just relax. And then he goes... Because Eden lives that thug life. Right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Where's Eden at? Why isn't Eden one of the chosen? <laughs> Come on, Ema has to be about dead by now. Let's get Eden on board. <laughs> well, then Peter goes, who wants to go to town to pick up some more supplies to finish this here tent? 
And Andrew raises his hand. He's like, ooh, pick me, Peter. Pick me. And Peter's like, I'll pick you if you stop doing that. Back in the Hobbit hole, Simon walks in and kneels down in front of Palestinian Igor Karkaroff. And Igor gets up and turns into the bridge keeper who is guarding the bridge of death that spans over the gorge of eternal peril in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. He asks, Whom do you serve? <laughs> Simon's real nervous because he knows if he gets the question wrong, he's going to go flinging off to his doom. But he says, El Shaddai, the god of war, which apparently is the right answer. What is your name? S Simon, right again. For what? Were you born to kill all the people that are haters of the Jews and cast out all non-Jews from Israel? You know, because the Bible tells me so. And then he referenced Exodus twenty-two twenty: "He who sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed." Igor then says, "Simon, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to kill an enemy of God." A Roman magistrate who was guilty of having a really silly name. And Simon answers, you mean Rufus? And Igor says, yes. Kill that dude. Or never return to the ancient hobbit hole zealot hit squad again. And Simon says, yeah, cool, no problem. Rufus is about to be killed. And that's the Trufus. And Igor responds, we do not do puns in the ancient hobbit hole zealot hit squad. Never let that happen again. And Simon, taken aback, agrees, and then heads out. <laughs> exactly like that. In Jerusalem, two Pharisees, one of which is our favorite Pharisee that everyone loves to hate from the first season, Shmuel. 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 You know, I like, Sh I like Shmuel. He's I a good his, guy. I hate saying his name, because every time I say his name, I feel like I'm saying it wrong, but I'm not. Shmuel. You feel like I feel like Shmuel. if they were gonna make this guy like a main character, like maybe they didn't plan to make him a main character, but you'd think they'd give him a better name. They couldn't, get, Ni they just... couldn't get Nicodemus back for season two. He's too well known. He's just like, I'm not doing this again, Dallas. Oh, that's true. He hasn't has he been back in season two? Nope. Dang. I like Nicodemus, but I also like Shmuel. Yeah, Shmuel is pretty good. Uh, but we're, we're introduced to these two Pharisees in Jerusalem, and uh, at the moment, they are seriously looking for a soapbox to stand on to which, or, or so they can preach to poor people. You see, they're trying to gain a following so Shmuel will have more influence in the city. And while this is going on, the older brother, the cripple from the beginning, his name's Jesse, by the way, is still trying to get to the Bethesda's jacuzzi bubble. He, like many people in the city, believed that the pool of Bethesda has healing qualities. But Jesse decides he's just given up because he's never going to get to that bubble. There are various scenes with Jesse trying to like crawl to the to the jacuzzi, and I gotta say, it's he really he should do some push-ups or something while yeah. he's over there because he's real bad at it. Like he's, I don't feel like he's really putting in enough effort. You know, to I, I left this feel out. down about it. I left this out because I thought it was going to be too insensitive, but you kind of just broke, breached, broached that uh, <laughs> subject and, and blew it out of the water. Uh, when he crawls over to talk to the guy later on in the episode, the other beggar that's there by the pool, it's like he's never once crawled on his hands before. <laughs> you would think somebody who would get around exclusively on their hands would have some sort of upper body strength. 
Uh-huh. But instead, I mean, the dude's a good actor. He's a great actor. He totally sold every one of his scenes. But it does seem like he showed up on the set and Dallas is like, oh, by the way, your legs don't work. And he's like, oh, I wish you would have told me that. I would have, you know, not skipped arm day my whole life. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I just felt like I felt like he could use some improvement in that area. He could up his times a little bit if he put in some pushups. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, what else is he going to do? Or he could push some people out of the way. Get those guns, like shove people right. shove people to the side. The peasants who are trying to get healed before you. Outside of the city, Simon the Zealot passes by a group of Romans who are in the middle of crucifying a whole bunch of people. And as he passes, two oddly effeminate Roman guards look at each other and, and look across to see another Roman standing nearby. And the first guard's like, Oh, can you believe that that guy's here? <laughs> and the second guard's like, no, who is he, Lancetus? <laughs> the first guard's like, that is Atticus. He's an elite <laughs> guard evaluator. Oh my goodness, what do you think he's here for? I don't know, Stevacus. <laughs> I'm just saying those two were... <laughs> I didn't get this vibe. I, I did. I was like, these are the two fruity guards just sitting there going, oh, can you believe this guy is here? Oh, gross. <laughs> oh. And Atticus is just like too cool for school over in the corner eating his apple. Yeah. At the gate, Simon the Zealot is stopped and frisked by a Roman guard. And the guard asks Simon, why he's so early to the festival. And Simon says, oh, I have family here. They live over by the Antonian Fortress. And the guard's like, oh, cool. Give your mom a hug for me. You're good. So Simon leaves. (laughs) (laughs) That's when Atticus walks up to the guard and says, bro, what's wrong with you? Everyone knows the Antonian Fortress is a public forum, not a residential ward. Get out of here and come back when you got your Jerusalem city areas memorized. And the guard's like, oh, you're right. Stupid. Come on. Come. I feel like, um, you know, they make Simon out to be this, like, super prepared guy. He probably would have had a better answer than that. Or, I mean, maybe he does live over by the Antonian Fortress. I'm just saying. Like... I, I, who's to say that there's not a little shack somewhere around there that their family holds up in? Could be. In the city, Thomas and Nathaniel are walking around carrying supplies when they come across the soapbox-perched Pharisee from earlier. Remember, it's Shmuel. And Matthew's here, too. And he motions over to his two fellow chosen. And Matthew's like, bro, bro, that Pharisee once tried to arrest Jesus back in Capernaum. We need to be on our toes. And Thomas and Nathaniel are like, what? What? Excuse me, Pharisee, be quiet real quick. I'm trying to listen to Matthew over here, former tax collector from, from Capernaum. What'd you say, Matthew? Oh, oh don't, don't worry about that. We, he doesn't know us. He just knows you, Jesus, James, John, Andrew, Peter, and Mary Mag. So you guys go lay low. We're going to listen to the show. Okay, bye. And then the two listen to the Pharisee warn about teachers coming to Jerusalem. False teachers, to be exact. 
And Simon meets up with two members of Jerusalem's chapter of the, or Simon the Zealot meets up with two members of the Jerusalem chapter of the ancient Hobbit whole Zealot hit squad. And they plan on murdering Rufus just as Shabbat ends. Little does Simon know, but Atticus is tailing him. The ancient hobbit whole zealot hit squad hide their weapons in a shop that is near where Rufus likes to walk as soon as Shabbat ends. Meanwhile, the Chosen all sit down for a feast and talk about the Feast of Booths. Jesus tells everyone that he likes the Feast of Booths because it's a great equalizer of people, rich and poor. Everyone sleeps outside during the feast. Then Big James speaks up and he says, Hey, Jesus. You know how in Zechariah 14 and verse 16 it says, Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that come against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the lord of armies, and celebrate the Feast of Booths. Um, someday our enemies are going to sit at our table, Jews and Gentiles together, but they won't get the importance. They won't understand that the feast is to, to remind us of our ancestors living in tents during their wilderness wanderings. And Jesus responds, no, no, you don't get it. Everyone has wandered through the wilderness in their own ways. And then Matthew pipes in, he's like, but Jerusalem isn't even big enough to hold everyone. Jesus is like, I can't deal with you guys. Dumb, dumb. They're all dumb. It's not going to be in physical Jerusalem, Matthew. It's going to be spiritual Jerusalem. Get it together. But then Andrew goes, this sounds impossible. But then Mama Mary says, I know a thing or two about impossible sounding prophecies being f- fulfilled. So why don't y'all just <laughs> shut up and quit talking? I, I mean, I feel like this was a genuine conversation that they needed to have. But then Mama Mary's like, no, <laughs> listen, you saw me in the first episode. I do not want to talk about Jesus ever after he died. Not one time. Everyone should just keep him in your heart. Don't write it down on paper. Two, shush. No more talking about the Feast of Booze and Prophecy. Well, as we already uh, witnessed in the last episode, Jenkins clearly isn't into Bible study. You don't have to think critically. You just have to shut up and believe. Right. But later that evening, Peter and John tell Jesus, Hey, Jesus, Shmuel is is here warning people about you. And Jesus is like, that's cool. Hey, I'm going to the city tomorrow to meet someone. You guys want to come? And of course, Peter and John say yes. And then Jesus adds, oh, and bring Matthew. It'll be good for him. No, not Matthew. It's what It reminded me of the Lion King, where Simba and Nala are going to go to the water hole together. Uh, Mom, can I go with Simba? Hmm. What do you think, Sarabi? Well, please. It's all right with me. As long as Zazu goes with you. No, not Zazu. Not Zazu. They don't say it, but I honestly could hear it in their expressions that Matthew and John were like, not Matthew. What is Zazu? Is that the bird? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The next day. He's not in. He's not in the new Disney one, is he? Yes, he is. Oh, never mind then. Okay. The next day, Jesus and the Chosen are on their way to the pool of Bethesda to meet a guy. This is odd to Peter and John because the pool is so steeped in pagan ritual. It used to be a shrine to the Phoenician god Ishpan. 
Then the Greeks and the Romans used it as a place to worship a healing god. And the people today that were living in Jerusalem, not today, today, but today when this show took place, the people believe that an angel stirs up the water. But really, it's just built over a natural hot spring. But the people honestly believe that the first person who reaches the bubbles is healed. The conversation ends as the group approach the city gates. And Jesus is taken aback by the sight of crucified men lining the streets. But But it would have been. I mean, Jesus probably would have walked by like a bunch of different crucifixions, which is probably something we don't think about because it never actually explicitly says it in the Gospels. But like crucifixions happen like every day. And he was in and out of Jerusalem all the time. So, I mean, we know that like the reason why they put the sign above their heads and stuff is because it became like a anti-crime billboard for the Romans. Like, hey, don't do what this guy did. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine knowing that in a few years I'm going to be up there with those guys and seeing it firsthand. Like, yeah, I mean, I think the the guy that plays Jesus played it perfectly. Like, just the kind of. He was shocked and sad and you could see kind of fear in his eye at the same time. Like, it's all those feelings that are understandable for Jesus to have felt leading up to the cross. I will give Dallas credit. I think, you know, his Jesus character, it it amazes me that he's able to change the the image of the traditional Jesus and yet have it resonate with everybody. And I think he does that well just by, like, having Jesus interact with the world that he's in and kind of filling in a bunch of gaps that the Gospels don't tell us about. Like, that response after seeing a crucifixion, like, that's a very reasonable response, but it's not something that we think about. Right. Some people connect with him well. So I'm, well, I'm impressed. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so forgiving when it comes to this show that I wouldn't be forgiving with the mistakes in another show. Is the way he portrays Jesus as this guy. I love when Jesus makes jokes, you know? I love when he's, he's yeah. I, I like seeing Jesus that way, because really, whenever most people close their eyes and picture Jesus, they're picturing the Catholics bastardization of Jesus, not what Jesus was actually like, right? You're picturing blue eyes, milky white skin, just shredded, like he just finished P90X three days before the cross. Just... <laughs> Just shredded his hair and his beard are just perfectly groomed and quaffed. I feel like it's not so much the like the physical image that has like I, I don't know that I've ever imagined Jesus like in a physical image necessarily, but I, when I imagine Jesus, I always, I always imagine him like stoic, walking around, only saying profound things, you know. And it's like, it, but that probably. Because that's all we get in the Gospels, right? But that makes sense well, that the Gospels are short, and so they only write down the things that are really important. But that prob- that's not the whole picture and the whole character and personality of Jesus. Well, that and I think some things are lost in translation in the Gospel. Because Jesus, Jesus has some good one-liners in the Gospels. Yeah, for sure. Like, the best one that I can think of off the top of my head is when he, when he goes east of the Jordan right before he's about to die into the land of uh, Herod Antipas. And... Um, and the Pharisees come up and warn him, like, hey, Jesus, you probably should get back to Jerusalem. Herod's going to try to kill you over here. And then Jesus turns around to them. Well, really, they just wanted Jesus to go back to Jerusalem so they could kill him. But Jesus turns around to them and goes, oh, don't worry. We all know you don't murder the prophets outside of Jerusalem's walls. <laughs> that is 
that's hilarious one but that's also a good burn like <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I i think this because because part of my ministry for some reason is trying to humanize jesus not to the point where it takes away from his divine nature but he was a hundred percent man and hundred percent god i've known i've said this on the show before but I think part of our job is to remind Jesus that he was an approachable Messiah. You know, he wasn't stoic and cold all the time because who wants to follow him? If you're just, you know, you're just a stick in the mud. If you don't have a personality or, or charisma, you know, miracles, I think can, can get people's attention. But if, you know, you're, if you're not charismatic enough to carry those people, past the miracles, then you can't do the job that he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this version of Jesus is is pretty close. Okay, so anyways, Jesus looks at the cross and they head into the city. Then a big dorky-looking Roman is wandering around nervously waiting for somebody. This guy's name is Patronus. <laughs> I could tell you who hasn't read the Harry Potter books. <laughs> Dallas Jenkins. <laughs> because if he did, you wouldn't have named a character Patronus. <laughs> Maybe he did it as an Easter egg. It's Dallas not- doesn't seem like a Harry Potter man to me. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out when in next episode where the antagonist names Horcrux comes along and... <laughs> Anyways, his, his name's Patronus. Uh, every time I say his name, I just think of a, a a blue neon deer with big antlers just galloping magnificently through the woods. But um, what a Dallas this Patronus would be. The poo emoji he seems like a no. It would be the what? poo emoji. The poo emoji. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blue orb of poo. What would your Patronus be? I have no idea. I haven't. I haven't devoted enough thought to. Now that could be fun radio. Just give me a second. A few moments later. Choose a skill, Luke, that you think would help you become a better witch or wizard: flying, running, sneaking, jumping, fighting, or killing. Sneaking. Your friend is not yep. able to summon their Patronus. What do you do to help them? I make fun of them. I would love to befriend a blank. Beautiful witch. <laughs> if I'm not married. Well, I don't think that's the... Never mind. What do you think about Lord Voldemort? Oh, yeah, I am. I am married. Oh, can oh, we go I'm back? Not, I'm not I'm going now. back. What do you think about, <laughs> about Voldemort? He's overrated. What should be the priority of a young witch or wizard? Protecting others, taking things less seriously, helping others in need, finding your true self, learning new stuff every day, gaining more power. Gaining more power. Select a word that you relate to. Kindness, love, joy, sadness, wisdom, darkness. Darkness. (laughs) You see, mine would be sadness. (laughs) (laughs) What is the thing you don't like about Hogwarts? It's fake happiness. You'd be in Slytherin. Dumbledore's Dumbledore's cheeriness. Have you ever wanted to use the dark arts? 
Yes, no. Yes. Maybe. Yeah, I, I do too. I'm not. Are you kidding me? I would Cruciatus every spider I saw. What's your favorite Hogwarts teacher like? Sna- what would Snape be? Scary? I think he would be powerful and scary one. Yeah, let's go with that. See, Flitwick was always my favorite. And I mean, like, first two movies, Flitwick, back when they had all that prosthetics on him. Not not new Flitwick when he looked like a midget version of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. You have learned... <laughs> you have learned how to perform a new spell. Would you teach it to the other students as well? No, I hate teaching. Why would I give my powers away to other people so that they could overthrow that my... want to hear from your... Dark reign. Something that you definitely want to hear from your... Uh, <laughs> From your internet minister. That's right. You had a nightmare. Don't give oh. away. You had a nightmare. Don't give away your stuff. A predator was chasing an animal. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? Use your imagination. <laughs> by <laughs> as long as I your imagination. <laughs> as long as your imagination imagines these six options. <laughs> a wolf hunting a deer. An eagle hunting a bird, a lion hunting a horse, a crocodile hunting a rat, a dog chasing a cat, a dragon eating an elephant. <laughs> I was gonna go with the crocodile eating chasing a rat, because I've never seen that happen. But then <laughs> the dragon and the elephant came up, so it's definitely that. What a weird option. Which of the following sentence describes the person you love? They are just like me. They are admirable. They are cute. They are funny. They are gone. (laughs) Okay, Snape. Uh, I don't love anyone. (laughs) Admirable, I would say. Finally, select one of the following wands. A wand with a phoenix feather core, a wand with a unicorn hair core, a wand with a dragon heartstring core, a long wand, a mysterious wand, a short but powerful wand. (laughs) Are those all the options? Yes. I don't care what you choose. You're choosing a short but powerful wand. (laughs) Short wands are stupid. No one wants a short wand. I know, but sometimes that's that's just the wand Ollivander gives you. (laughs) Um, I'd want a mysterious wand. Okay. (laughs) Why not? Oh, wow. (laughs) All that work. And this is what you get. (laughs) You do not have a Patronus. What? Unfortunately, you are not pure of heart. That means you have no innocent intention to summon your Patronus. It might be because you are interested in the dark arts. Witches and wizards who do dark magic can never have a magical animal. And something deep inside you wants to try all those dangerous spells. Uh, Man, how disappointing. I thought I was going to get like a snake or a demon, a demon dragon. Yeah, well, I didn't know a dark wizard couldn't have a Patronus. Well, I guess you have to think of happy thoughts. I've never once seen a dark wizard perform a Patronus. That's true. I didn't take that into account. That that was perfect. (laughs) That is that is the best way for that whole thing to end. Couldn't even get a weasel. (laughs) A big dorky looking Roman is wandering nervously, waiting for some, wandering through uh, the Jerusalem streets, nervously waiting for someone. His name is Patronus. (laughs) 
and he is meeting Atticus. Atticus tells Patronus that someone or that something on his boss Rufus's calendar will put Pat and Rufus in a narrow road just off the square. And Pat responds, oh, you mean our brunch at that fancy restaurant called the Valerian? Right, says Atticus. But what you don't know is that you have a skilled assassin that's wanting to put the kibosh on your meal plans. But I want you to go to brunch anyways. And Pat's like, what? Why don't you just arrest this killer and be done with it? And Atticus responds, what? And make another zealot martyr? Just adding fuel to the ancient hobbit hole zealot hit squad's calls? No, I'm going to kill him in the act. I will not give them a story that they can tell to glorify their actions. Today, Rome will win. And I say to that, look around you, Atticus. Rome's pretty much already won. Well, Atticus is going to make sure it continues to win. Like how he just like gives his whole vendetta to this guy about his, his worldview, basically, as to why he can't just arrest the dude. Simon the Zealot, before going off on his killing spree, makes his way to the Bethesda pool to see his older brother Jesse. And Jesse is justifiably ticked that Simon has come to Jerusalem three times for the past 25 years. That's 75 visits to Jerusalem and has never once stopped and visited. Good job. And, and Simon's excuse was, listen, I'm embarrassed because you believe in this mythical jacuzzi jet. And I didn't <laughs> want to be a part of a cult that pitted sick people against each other. And Jesse's like, that's big talk from a murderer. Some guy... you're just probably here to to kill someone else hey i have an idea don't kill this dude and if they because if they catch you they're gonna kill you but then simon's all tough and he's like i'm not afraid of no death i just came to say goodbye simon turns to leave but jesse pulls out the scroll his younger brother left behind the night he left to join the ancient hobbit whole zealot hit squad in it simon quoted zephaniah 319 Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I'll appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. And Jesse goes on to read his brother's words. Jesse, when you stand on two feet, I will know the Messiah has come. I will fight for the freedom of Zion in order to see that day. Simon turns around one last time and says, You're not standing. So I apparently still have work to do. Don't know why you read that to me. Bye. (laughs) Gotta go murder some people. Gotta go do some moita. Talk to you later. (laughs) He's like, I still believe in that, Jesse. And that's what I mean to do. And Simon runs off to get his hidden weapons. Jesus, Peter, Matthew, and John arrive at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus points out the man who we came to meet. It's Jesse, obviously. One time in this show, I would love for Jesus to meet somebody again who's not in the cold open. I mean, they got to set it up. I know, but how great would that be just to divert expectations one time where Jesus arrives and you think that he's coming (laughs) and talking to the guy uh, that's been in the show the whole time. And then he points to the guy next to Jesse. He's like, that's who I'm coming here to talk to. (laughs) 
feel like that wouldn't resonate very well with <laughs> Dallas's audience. But I would love it. I would love it so much. <laughs> like Jesus goes up and he's like, Jesse, yes, Lord. Can you scoot over? I need to talk to the guy that's behind you. <laughs> then he gets healed and Jesse just sits there. Yeah, yeah I feel like that's the end of the episode. Dallas is, he's got to stretch this out for six seasons. He can't do that. So, yeah, J- Jesus. If you were directing The Chosen, I would fully expect it. Jesus walks up to Jesse and Jesus asks the cripple a question. Do you want to be healed? And Jesse asks, who are you? Will you take me to the water? And Jesus is like, nah, nah, bro, not doing that. Then Jesse's like, look, dude, I'm having a bad day and I'm not in the mood for this. Jesus tells the cripple, look at me. I'm not offering you false hope like this pool. You know this pool is just water. So why are you still here? You don't need this pool. You only need me. So do you want to be healed? Jesse doesn't say anything, but his eyes say everything. The Lord turns to the cripple. Pick up, or get up. Pick up your mat. Let's go. Jesus then kisses Jesse's forehead and walks away. And Peter comes up to the man and says, You heard the man. Get your stuff and let's get going. Jesse asks, Why does it matter if I take my mat? Peter responds, Because you're not coming back here, brah. I like that. Like, get up and get out. He could have left his mat. Could have left his mat for somebody else. More cushioning. Then he wouldn't have a mat. Does he need one anymore? I feel like everyone needs a mat at the end of the day. I feel like it's weird. I've thought this reading the Gospels, too. Like, wouldn't it be weird that Jesus healed one man and then walked out? Like, and there were all the, there were all the other people there. I don't know how that played out exactly. But it seemed as weird in the, in the show as it did in the Gospels. Because you think about all the other people that are sick waiting for this jacuzzi bubble. And then, and then Jesse gets up and walks out. And he's like, what? what, what? <laughs> I mean, like his friend who he's sitting there talking to. <laughs> he's a seals and he's like, all right, bye. That's all the work I have to do today. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Jesus healed them too. What? Miraculously somehow. Well, it could have been that those people's heart was so set on this cult of Bethesda that, you know, they were totally sold on it, hook, line, and sinker. And so there was no chance of, of saving them. Maybe. Just one scene, Jenkins. Just one scene where you just have like a close up of, of Jesse's friends going, like, what? But- <laughs> What about what about us? You would have had the funniest episode you've ever made. <laughs> it's like get him in the background as Peter and the, the lame man are walking away. As Jesse grabs his stuff, a Pharisee walks over, Shmuel's buddy. And he's like, hey, bro, what do you think you're doing? Carrying your stuff from one place to another is against the rule of Shabbat. And then James whispers to Matthew, that's not in the Torah. He's talking about man-made oral traditions, a bunch of rules added by the Pharisees. And then James turns to the Pharisees. He's like, dude, what's your problem? 
Did you not just see what happened? And you're trying to make this about Shabbat? The Pharisee ignores James and focuses on Jesse. So, you're telling me a man you don't know performs a magic trick, tells you to sin, and then walks away. Sounds like a false prophet to me, and I'm going to have to report this. And Jesse's, to his credit, just goes, you can report whatever you want. I really do not care. (laughs) (laughs) I love that scene. I love that line. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) I think it did do, like, like like, Jesus would perform miracles and then they would take them up on the law. Like when you read it in the gospels, it's like, it would be that ridiculous to see a man who's been laying there for 40 years healed. And you have an issue about some like tiny legal matter. Like how stupid are you? Well, not only that, but he calls it a magic trick. He's like, this is what what magic, what magic trick can you think of that gives a, a, a man who's been crippled for decades, the ability to walk. I wonder if, um, like he knew if the man had been crippled, but it's interesting. Like if he didn't know the man was crippled, it would be because his religion was like, was terrible. He didn't care about the cripple or the poor or anything like that. And so either he knew it and it was just ridiculous or he didn't know. And it was like a kind of a, uh, stain on his, not only that, but if the dude was faking it, then all those other people, I think who have been trying to get to that jacuzzi bubble before everyone else would have stood up and been like, yeah, you've been faking it this whole time, Jesse. All right, we see you wiggle your toes all the time. <laughs> like, we knew it. But nobody did. Nobody was like, yeah, he totally could walk before today. But, you know, Jesse's like, I don't... I, you, you, say whatever you want, Shmuel 2. I really I really couldn't... Could care less, man. I, I need to go find my what brother. What is that guy's name? Oh, his name's... I don't know, Zophar or something stupid. So Jesse's on his way to the upper city to see his brother, and as he's walking, he runs into a guy, and he apologizes and said, I'm sorry, it's my first time, which I thought was adorable. That was a good line. But it wasn't his first time, because he knew how to walk when he ran to that tree. But I digress. Jesse's on his way to try to find Simon. Atticus is pretending to be Rufus, and the ancient hobbit holes Elliot hit squatter carrying out their assassination plan. Simon's about to draw his knife and kill who he thinks is Rufus, but then he looks up and he sees Jesse walk in. And he's like, oh, bro. So he, he doesn't do no killing. And Atticus is confused that no one is acting. And Simon and Jesse see each other. And Jesse does a little dance. And the brothers hug. Jesse, or, and then we see a series of scenes. Again, no one's talking, kind of like at the beginning. Jesus and the Chosen leave Jerusalem. The angry Pharisee runs to Shunyol. Atticus is all mad and watches Jesse and Simon hug. Matthew asks, and then at the very end, that's my favorite part of this whole show. <laughs> Matthew at the end asked Jesus why he could just wait until Shabbat ended. He was like, look, because of that issue and Shabbat was going to be over in like a half an hour. Why didn't you just wait? And Jesus responds, sometimes you have to stir up the water. And then slow motion turns with an awesome smirk on his face. End of the episode. Walks away like a boss. The only thing that would have been better like is if line. Jesus had sunglasses on when he said it, and he took them off as he was saying it. You know, if you're walking away, you have to put them on. Jesus, why don't you just wait? Pulls them out of his shirt pocket. Why don't you just wait for a half an hour? Sometimes you have to stir up the water.
I like that line um, where he says, why didn't you just wait half an hour? It wouldn't have made a difference to that man. And obviously, like, if he had waited, Simon would have killed the Roman and who knows, maybe gone to jail or been crucified or something like that. And I like that, like, Jesus probably did stuff like that all the time. And you know God still does stuff like that all the time where he works in people's lives. And to us, like, we don't see all the connected variables, but uh, he does, and he knows all of them and how all the timing fits together. Yeah, and to Jenkins' credit again, um, I really like what he did with Simon. Um, because Simon is called a zealot. They were this extremist group back in the first century who were, well, they were terrorists, carrying out terrorist acts and try, trying to rid the land of, of Roman occupation. And so I, I really like the backstory of of Simon. It was just a cool way to introduce that. It was a cool way to connect those two characters, I guess, or, or, or tell both those characters' stories in a way. That connected. I don't think they were really yeah. brothers, but it was it was fine the way it was connected. And I just like you said, because of that connection, Dallas played an ev- or, or or told an even greater story of uh, providence of how God works in people's lives to bring about the outcomes that He needed. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a good use of artistic liberty. Some of his other stuff, I am not so much a fan of, but I thought that that was really well done. Here at the Rotten Righteous Scale, we use the SEP scale. If you're just now watching this for the first time, what a terrible episode to choose, seeing as we are four episodes into a review of a television show that tells one long story. Why would you start at episode four? Why wouldn't, at the very least, you start with episode one and then work your way to episode four? Come on, you're better than that. Anyways, what we do here is 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 uh, we review movies on what we call the SEP scale. Four different categories, each given a... a one to 25 point uh, grade added all together, given a letter grade. Then we take those two letter grades that we get, or three when Scott's not being a whiny little boy, and we add those all together, average amount, and then we give the the official rating. If that made sense, then you have ADHD like me. Thanks. Anyways, the first category... Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. All right. The first category is scriptural accuracy. Did you see anything in here that was scripturally inaccurate? Uh, I don't think so. I didn't catch anything. Um, I do wonder, this isn't so much a scriptural accuracy thing. Like, they make the pool out to be like a pagan cult. The Bible doesn't necessarily present it that way. And I just wonder if it was a pagan thing or if there was actually an angel who touched the water. No. But anyway, no, I didn't see anything scripturally inaccurate, so I'll give it a 25. I think historically it was considered pagan. I think they did get that right. Mm. And that's what they believed was happening now was these people trying to put God into their pagan religion. And so they said an angel. I see. We know now uh, that it is just a natural phenomenon like a hot water spring. Um, oh, well, that's lame. Yeah, an angel doesn't just touch water. Can you imagine how, how come? Do you imagine how? I mean, weirder things happen in the Old Testament. Do you imagine how messy the bathrooms in heaven were if every time an angel touched water, it just bubbled over everywhere? Maybe they came down here to wash their hands after they did, and that's why it happened. Maybe they didn't want to, you know, flood the bathrooms. So, are you giving it a twenty-five with scriptural yep. accuracy? So am I. Entertainment value, Luke. Were you entertained? I was. I think this may have been my favorite episode of The Chosen of all time. So um, I'll give it a 25. 
I am right there with you. I don't know. I still really like the kids episode from last season. It's going to be real hard to beat that, but this one might tie it. Uh, parental control. Was there anything in here that, you know, you wouldn't want little kids to see? Now, I will say um, there are several scenes of crucifixion. Most of the time, they're just dead bodies up on the cross, but there is a lot of blood. But there is one scene where a dude is being nailed to a cross. Now, I do not think the guy being nailed to the cross was a good actor at all because you just hear the hammer going, and then he'd go, Oh! Oh! But, you know, little kids might not find that as humorous as I did. So I gave it a, I'm, I'm going to give it a 20 on parental control. Yeah, I, uh, that was the only thing I could think of. The people hanging on the crosses and practicing murder. I don't know. I don't feel like that was a, it's just a historical thing. You didn't see anybody getting murdered. So um, I'll give it a, I'll give it a 22. All right. And finally, should you watch it? Is there merit? Is there some reason why you don't feel guilty about waiting, wasting 59 minutes of your life on this episode? Yeah, I thought it's a good use of, I mean, if you're going to watch any TV, I think this is a, this is a good one to watch. And it was really well put together. I think the story was really well done. I really enjoyed like the way that they shot the first couple of minutes of it with the no talking, playing out the backstory of the guys. And um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a, give it a 25. Yeah. Well, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I love Jesus's reactions to the cross and uh, I, I know that this shows about those that Jesus chose, and so they focus on that more than Jesus. But whenever Jesus is on the screen, he shines. The guy that plays him shines. It's He's a great choice, and it's a great way uh, to see Jesus in a new light. So for that reason alone, you should watch it. I was just glad to see Jesus more than last episode, where he was in like two seconds of it. Right. Because in my opinion, the, the Jesus character makes the whole thing, and... Uh, him being present during this one was definitely more enjoyable. Well, when all is said and done, Luke gave it a 97, which is an A+, and I gave it a 95, which is an A+. Average them together, you get a 96, which is a C-? minus. No, it's an A+. <laughs> <laughs> you know why this episode is probably so good? Because Mary Magdalene had like two lines, and that was it, and she was done. <laughs> I know. For Rotten Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Tinky Winky, Dipsy, Lala, and Poe. <laughs> He's Luke Taylor. <laughs> but before we go, hey, hey, look, a priest buys a lawnmower at a yard sale, and he and he takes it home, and he pulls the starter rope a few times, and, and it doesn't turn on. And he storms back at the yard sale, and he tells the previous owner, he's like, I can't get that mower you sold me to start. And the owner says, well, that's because you have to curse in order to get it started. Says uh, and and, he, and the pre priest is like I'm a man of the cloth. I don't even remember how to curse. And the own, previous owner says, "You just keep pulling on that rope; it'll come back to you." <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs>
Absolutely. Absolutely. So here at the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we do the little thing called reviewing movies. <laughs> Is that what we do here? <laughs> no, that's a lie. I've been playing a lot of Valhalla here recently. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the newest game. So that's probably why it was in my I've head. never played it. Don't worry about it. Um, I know you, you only have a Nintendo GameCube. I understand. We, hey, I played that GameCube forever. We don't have a TV. What? So uh, gaming is, we don't. That sounds terrible. It's fine, actually. I mean... Because then it's like, I feel like if I have a TV in the house, sometimes I'll just turn on the TV because I'm like bored and I'm like, I don't want to think of anything else to do. So I watch yeah, TV. That's what TVs are for. But then you just describe you, what televisions are for. <laughs> then you don't have one. It's like, oh, I guess I'll find something useful to do. Uh, that's, it's that's, not that bad. Everyone should go with the no TV life for a while. Yeah, have a kid and let me know how Give that works out for you. No, no, not going to have. I'm not going to. I'm not going to have a kid. I'm not going to have a TV. Those are my only two rules in life. I don't care about the glory of Rome. I okay. just don't want a kid or a TV. Then Jesse's like, look, dude, I'm having a bad day, and I'm not in the mood for this. And Jesus tells the cripple, look at me. Look at me! Like the Joker. That's what he does. It's real weird. But uh, <laughs> It's funny, as I write down title ideas in my head as I edit these videos... So every once in a while, I come across just random, like, title scratchings that I completely forgot about. Like, apparently, during the first Chronicles of Narnia movie, one idea of of an episode title was Half Man, Half Goat, All, Mac- or All McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> Another one was Real Centaurs Don't Winnie. <laughs> <laughs> Do the centaurs in Harry Potter winnie? Yeah, they do. But we know now through archaeological, through pirates, apparently, stuttering pirates. Ar, 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 matey. <laughs> what is that? Arcology? Ar, no, it's not archaeology. What word am I thinking of? Archaeologic. Archaeology? Archaeology. 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 That's the word I'm looking for.